listening to the sermon podcast of Brockport First Baptist. We are a progressive American Baptist congregation located about 20 minutes outside of Rochester, New York. To learn more about our church and support our ministries, please visit BrockportFirstBaptist.org. For the scripture reading this morning, we'll be continuing in the Gospel of Mark. I'll be reading from chapter 7, verses 1 through 15. Now when the Pharisees and some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem gathered around him, they noticed that some of his disciples were eating with defiled hands, that is, without washing them. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they thoroughly wash their hands, thus observing the tradition of the elders. And they do not eat anything from the market unless they wash it. And there are also many other traditions that they observe, the washing of cups, pots, and bronze kettles. So the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, Why do your disciples not live according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? He said to them, Isaiah prophesied rightly about you hypocrites, as it is written, This people honors me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching human precepts as doctrines. You abandon the commandment of God and hold to human tradition. Then he said to them, You have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to keep your tradition. For Moses said, Honor your father and mother, and whoever speaks evil of father or mother must surely die. But you say that if anyone tells father or mother, Whatever support you may have had from me is korban, that is an offering to God, then you no longer permit doing anything for a father or mother, thus making void the word of God through your tradition that you have handed on. And you do many things like this. Then he called the crowd again and said to them, Listen to me, all of you, and understand, there is nothing outside a person that by going in can defile but the things that come out are what defile. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. And thanks for that reading, Jim. You really captured the fire on that one. That was awesome. Jesus is not messing around today, guys. All right. Um, Before we get started, um, I want to thank Luann Sensi, Pastor Alicia, and everyone who was involved in putting together the hymn sing uh, last Sunday. Uh, I heard it was an awesome time. It also gave me the week uh, week off after Christmas, which I uh, always appreciate, so thank you to everyone who was um, involved in that. And if you didn't catch it, um, you can watch the recording online. Um, As we already mentioned uh, a few minutes ago, January is Stewardship Month here at Brockport First Baptist. Uh, It's a time of year that we as a church community come together to reflect on the role of money in our lives and how God is calling us to steward that money. Uh, We sent out our New Year's letter uh, just a few days ago, I believe, recapping the last year in ministry. If you didn't get that yet, it should be uh, coming in the mail soon. And we also sent out pledge cards to our regulars here at church. Uh, You'll find extra cards by the Connection Center. Um, If you're someone who gives regularly to our church, uh, or if you're thinking about giving in this new year, um, I want to encourage you to fill out one of those cards and drop it in uh, one of the joy boxes out in the hallway anytime in the month of January. 
Um, seeing what people are planning to give helps church council as they put together um, the next budget so that we can be uh, good stewards of the gifts you are entrusting to us. Um, so thank you for turning in those pledge cards this month. I also think I need to acknowledge at the outset uh, that whenever churches talk about money, it's always a little awkward, right? Um, it's like inherently self-serving. Uh, if you're new here, uh, maybe uh, it's especially awkward, like you might have uh, visited on Christmas Eve and now uh, maybe you're here or you're watching online to see what we're about, and a stewardship campaign is probably a weird first look. Um, but if you have an NPR tote bag at home, uh, or if, like me, you've gotten two dozen emails uh, in the last week from every charity you've ever donated to asking you to get those year-end gifts in, um, then you're probably familiar with this sort of thing. Um, our church is a congregationally-led nonprofit, so we are going to be doing a pledge drive this month uh, to help us plan and sustain our ministries moving forward. When we were uh, planning out this pledge drive uh, probably a month or two ago now, uh, someone on council actually suggested that I take the month of January to preach through some of Jesus' teachings on money. And that makes sense. Um, Jesus had a lot to say about money, especially in the Gospel of Mark. Uh, Mark basically gives us sort of Jesus' greatest hits when it comes to money. Um, there's the rich young ruler which is a story about a man who comes to Jesus asking what he has to do to get into heaven, and Jesus tells him to sell everything he owns and give the money to the poor. That's a fun one. Uh, we'll be talking about that one next week. Uh, we're also going to look at the widow's mite. Uh, that's a story where um, a widow takes her last two coins and drops them in the temple treasury, and we see Jesus sees that and has some things to say about it. We're going to dig into that later this month. Um, there's also the story when Jesus is asked about paying taxes, and he says, render unto Caesar what is Caesar, and to God what is God's. You guys know these. These are, these are famous stories from the Gospel of Mark where Jesus talks about money and economics in various forms. But I'm a bit of a stickler for going in order. So we're not going to get any of those famous, well-known stories about Jesus and money today. Uh, instead, we are kicking off our church stewardship campaign by looking at Mark chapter 7, a story where Jesus calls out religious institutions that rip off old people. How else would we start a church stewardship campaign, you guys? Let's do it. Let's get into it. Um, I'm going to read our passage again, um, just because there's a lot here. I think a second reading helps. Um, Mark chapter 7. Beginning in verse 1, I'll try to capture the same fire that Jim had for us. <clears throat> now, when the Pharisees and some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem gathered around Jesus, they noticed that some of his disciples were eating with defiled hands, that is, without washing them. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they thoroughly wash their hands, thus observing the tradition of the elders. And they do not eat anything from the market unless they wash it. And there are also many other traditions that they observe, the washing of cups, pots, and bronze kettles. I've got to say it's a little strange that Mark has to explain cleaning things to his audience. Clearly, uh, this was a very different time. Anyway, um, continuing in verse 5. So the Pharisees and scribes asked Jesus, why do your disciples not live according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? Jesus said to them, Isaiah prophesied rightly about you hypocrites. 
As it is written, this people honors me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching human precepts as doctrines. You abandon the commandment of God and hold to human tradition. Then he said to them, You have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to keep your tradition. For Moses said, Honor your father and your mother, and whoever speaks evil of father or mother must surely die. But you say that if anyone tells father or mother, whatever support you might have had from me is korban, that is an offering to God, then you no longer permit doing anything for a father or mother, thus making void the word of God through your tradition that you have handed on. And you do many things like this. Then he called the crowd again and said to them, Listen to me, all of you, and understand. There is nothing outside a person that by going in can defile, but the things that come out are what defile. There's a lot here. There's a lot. I hope you guys didn't make any plans for after church, because there's a lot. Um, Jesus is not pulling any punches uh, with the religious elite in this one. Now, um, I said a few minutes ago, this is not one of the famous stories about Jesus and money, but if you're someone who's been around church for a while, you might actually recognize this one. Uh, Maybe you've heard the one where the Pharisees uh, criticized Jesus' disciples for not washing their hands well enough, uh, and then Jesus is like, it's not what's on the outside that defiles, but what's inside. Like, that's a relatively well-known story from the Gospels, but when we talk about it, we often miss the economic piece that's sitting right in the middle of this story. Like, I probably heard a dozen different sermons and teachings based on this text, emphasizing things like legalism and how it's what is in our heart that matters. But we conveniently overlook that Jesus is talking about economics here. He's talking about how we treat the elderly, specifically, And he's talking about that in a way that some of us might find convicting. To set the stage, uh, the Pharisees lay into Jesus and his disciples for not observing the tradition of the ancestors because they don't wash their hands before they eat. Which, let me just say, as a father of a four-year-old boy, gross. (laughs) Wash your hands before you eat, people. Especially in a a pandemic. I think I'm with the Pharisees on this one. Um... But what Jesus does, what Jesus does is he flips it on them. He points out their hypocrisy by pointing to the tradition of korban. Let's get korban up there. Let me hear you all say korban. Korban, excellent pronunciation. It's a great Hebrew word that pops up here uh, in the New Testament. Korban literally means an offering, an offering that you give to God. Um, Anytime you give an offering to God, that is korban. Uh, In ancient Judaism, korban was usually uh, an animal that was sacrificed or some kind of like sizable monetary gift. Anything that was a costly offering to God is korban. Um, People would usually offer korban during like big life transitions to signify a sort of recommitment to God. Um, So like at a wedding um, or if you took a vow or when someone in your family passed away or a child was born, you would go to the temple and offer korban. If you know the story that we tell around Christmas time a lot, uh, where Mary and Joseph take Jesus as a baby to the temple and they offer two uh, small birds as a sacrifice after he's born, that's korban. 
The Pharisees criticized Jesus for not upholding the tradition of hand-washing. So he calls them out for corrupting the tradition of korban and using it to deny justice to the elderly. See, back then they didn't have much of a social safety net. You didn't have programs like Social Security and Medicare. If you couldn't provide for yourself, uh, either because you were injured or you were too old uh, to, to work or whatever reason, there was no safety net to catch you. You would be destitute. And so religion stepped in. Jewish law stipulates that adult children are required to care for their aging parents. It's right there in the Ten Commandments. Honor your father and mother. That doesn't mean be nice to them. It doesn't mean, you know, ignore grandpa when he starts spouting off with, like, questionable political views at dinner. It means take care of them. Make sure they're okay. Make sure they have what they need. Don't let your parents become destitute. If you had aging parents, aging relatives in ancient Israel, it was, your, it was the law that it was your responsibility to care for them. But by Jesus' day, a few centuries after the time of Moses, uh, the powers that be had figured out a little loophole to this law. You've got this tradition of korban, a large gift that can be dedicated to God. And by the time of Jesus, it was common practice that if you didn't want the burden of caring for an elderly family member, you could give a large financial contribution to the temple, and you could say, the money I would have used to care for my parents is now korban. It's for God. And then the religious establishment would let you off the hook. They'd relieve you of the duty to take care of your mother and father, which means that they would be destitute. So you've got aging parents. The law says it's your responsibility to take care of them, but if you write a check out to the temple, we'll look the other way, and mom and dad can fend for themselves. No wonder Jesus is ticked, right? No wonder his anger comes through in this passage. He's indignant. Here's the religious establishment worried about hand-washing, which is important, by the way. <laughs> Meanwhile, they're ripping off the elderly to line their own pockets. Before we get into the stewardship implications of this passage, because there are implications uh, for stewardship here, but before we get to that, I would be remiss not to hammer home the most obvious application of this passage— Honor your father and your mother. Take care of the elderly. If your parents are still living, make sure they're okay. Make sure they have what they need. Um, I know we have a number of folks in this congregation who have aging parents. Um, I don't yet. I hope to someday. Um, but I have learned so much just from watching you and seeing you all care for elderly family members, sometimes right up to the end. That's amazing. And for those of us who, like, maybe like me, you're not quite there yet, um, maybe you don't have elderly family members to take care of, there's still a lot we can do as a society to ensure that our most vulnerable members are taken care of. Because let's face it, 
As a society, we do not do a great job of, of honoring our mother and our father in this way. Um, I found some statistics from the U.S. Cong- uh, Congressional Research Service. These are from 2019, so pretty recent. According to their figures, there are 4.9 million people over the age 65 in America who live in poverty. It's about 9.1%. And the poverty level gets worse the older you are. For people over the age of 80, the poverty rate is 13.6%. The only age group in our country with a higher poverty rate than that is children with about 14%. And don't get me started on the fact that in the richest country in the world, our two poorest groups are children and the elderly. And if you break these numbers down uh, by race, it gets way worse. Um, For African Americans over 65, this is over 65, not over 80, the poverty rate is 17.1%. We are not honoring our mothers and our fathers with statistics like these. When we cut programs that help the poor, we are not honoring our mothers and our fathers. When politicians talk about cutting back on Medicare and Social Security to save a buck, um, when VA hospitals aren't properly funded, we are not honoring our mothers and our fathers. Remember that. Remember this when you vote. Remember this when you write your representatives. Remember this if you run for office or hold any positions of authority. Remember the command to honor our mothers and our fathers. If you say I'm a pastor, that's politics. Why are we talking about this in church? It's because it isn't politics. It's economics. And the Bible has a lot to say about economics. It's not just individual responsibility. There are principalities and powers at play here. When Jesus speaks out on Korban, he doesn't track down every individual who is like failing to take care of their parents. He goes after the leaders and the structures that are ripping off the elderly. Honor your father and mother. That's like the biggest point we need to take away from this story. But there are a whole other set of takeaways here um, about how we think about stewardship and how we give. Um, We don't have Korban anymore. I don't think anyone is giving a sizable gift to the church to, like, screw over your parents. Um, If you are, we should probably talk because that's not good. Um, But even without Korban, there are still offerings that defile. There are gifts you can give that while not making us impure in and of themselves, reveal something of the impureness in our hearts. So the first takeaway on this front would be check your motivations for giving. Check your reasons for putting money in the joy box or making a donation to the church. Maybe you're giving out of guilt or obligation. Maybe you give to check some sort of box because you think that means you and God are good. Um, Maybe there's some darkness in your life, some injustice you're involved in, or some shame you're carrying around with you. And rather than bringing that to the surface and addressing it, 
You come here and you give your time and your energy and your money to kind of um, try to make up for it. That's not a healthy way to give. And it's not a very healthy way to live either. If you're going to give to the church, uh, if you're going to support us or any other ministry or nonprofit, give out of the joy of your heart. Give as a way to participate in and support the work of that ministry. If you choose to give an offering to our church, do it because you believe in what we're trying to do here, our mission of embodying God's love beyond the walls of the sanctuary. Thank you. Give to us um, because we are discipling people and pointing them to Jesus. Give to support our mission of service to the community. Give because when we say all are welcome, we actually mean it. If you give to our church, give because you believe in our mission and want to support what we're doing. That's how you give an offering. Check your motivations for giving. After we check our motivations, the next thing we should check are the ethics of the institutions we're supporting. This is a big one. Um, This is where the stewardship piece really comes into play. How is your money being used? Where is it going? Is the church or the ministry you're supporting worthy of that gift? There are a lot of hustlers out there with the word reverend in front of their name. Um, I think of the televangelist who asks people to send in their social security checks and then uses that money to buy a private jet with like gold-plated toilets or whatever. That is Corban in the bad sense. Or think of a prosperity gospel preacher who says, if you have enough faith, God will heal you. If you have enough faith, God will bless you. If you have enough faith, God will make you rich. And here's how you can demonstrate that faith. Send me a check. That's hypocrisy. Check the ethics of the ministries you support. What do they believe in? What are they promoting? Uh, Who are they serving? Who's welcome in their spaces and who's unwelcome? Is there transparency with the money? Do you get to see what's actually done with your gift? Do you you know who makes those decisions? Our church is a congregationally-led church. Uh, We have a church council that's elected by and from the congregation. I answer to the council, and they answer to you. Um, We've got last year's financial report available at the Connection Center. I think there are like three or four printed out copies there. We can email you a PDF if you want it. You can go and see how every dime was spent last fiscal year. Every year in May, we have a congregational meeting where we iron out and approve the new budget. We're having a congregational meeting next Sunday after church where you'll get to hear updates and ask questions about what's being done at our church. What are our priorities? How are we spending our money? What's going on? Go to those meetings. Participate. Ask questions. Vote. Serve on council. Brockport First Baptist is not some institution that exists in the ether out there, separate from us. We are Brockport First Baptist. Get involved and help steer this church toward the ministries you're passionate about. Check your motivations for giving. Check the ethics of the institutions you support. And one last takeaway. Let your stewardship be an outgrowth of a just and equitable life 
not a way to avoid responsibility. That's a mouthful, so I'm going to say that one more time. Let your stewardship be an outgrowth of a just and equitable life, not a way to avoid responsibility. This is what was happening in Jesus' day at the temple. The temple structure was preying on people's guilt and shame, offering financial contributions as a way to avoid responsibility. You don't want to follow the law? It's too hard to live justly? Don't worry about it. Just write us a check and we'll look the other way. There are a lot of churches out there that are still doing that in various forms, and it's not healthy. As a church, as a religious institution, the big picture of what we do here is we're supposed to be forming people. We're supposed to be forming people to be more like Jesus. It's kind of what this is all about. If you come to church here, if you worship with us, if you serve and plug in and become part of this community, that should start to change you from the inside out. We should all find ourselves gradually growing in love, hospitality, and grace. The big picture reason we talk about stewardship, the reason we talk about money and encourage each other to be generous, isn't just to keep the lights on in here. It's not just to pay the staff and heat the building. It's because good stewardship should transform us. As followers of Jesus, we are called to live lives of justice and mercy, and our giving should be an outgrowth of that. Don't give to the church because you feel guilty. Don't give because you think it checks a box that makes God happy. Don't give to cover up some shame by offering korban. If you choose to support our ministry, or any ministry for that matter, do it as an outgrowth of your discipleship. Do it because you're becoming more like Jesus. That's how you give an offering. Let's pray. God, we thank you. We thank you for entrusting us with resources that we can use for your work in the world and for the building up of your kingdom. God, we pray that you would give us wisdom and discernment in this stewardship season. Help us to discern the call you are placing on our lives. Help us to discover the role that you would have for us in supporting the work of this church and the role of this church in your work in the broader community. And God, when we give, may it be a natural outgrowth of a life directed toward you. In your name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed what you heard, please be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. You can connect with us on Facebook at Brockport First Baptist, on Twitter at BrockportFB, and on our website, BrockportFirstBaptist.org. Our theme music was composed by Scott Holmes. This has been a production of Brockport First Baptist.